I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast where we break down politics, government structure, and dive into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Wolantowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the presidential veto. So grab your red marker. And let's get civical. everybody for joining us today. Our guest is Piper Parabo. She's an actor, activist. She's joining us on Skype today. We're going to talk about uh, the presidential veto. Uh, but first, we're going to start with um, an issue that is near and dear to my heart and to Piper's. And we just did an episode on uh, voter turnout. And so we're going to talk about the the New York City, the New York State voter reform legislation that passed um, this month. And we're going to talk about what passed, what it means, the great things about it. There's- are we excited? Are we sad? Are we nervous? Because like, you feel like when like a bunch of things pass at once, I automatically get very anxious, you know, because there's a lot of there's a lot of words. There's a lot of subsections. And I don't know. <laughs> first glance what we're dealing with yeah so it's very exciting it's very exciting weed through it luckily all of the stuff in this package is good it's all good stuff it's all good it's stuff. all good yeah um 
So I know you've, this is like an issue that's super close to your heart. You've been very active with it. And so, you know, what's your initial reaction, your take? My initial, uh, I mean, like, I'm so excited to pass and it passed so fast that yeah. I think it gives me real hope for the state legislature that we can really get things done. We have a true blue New York, like we can get some great stuff done. And then the governor signed it really quickly. And so now I'm just sort of holding my breath to make sure it's in the budget. I think the yeah. budget draft is due the last day in March. Yeah. And so I'm just, I want to make, cause some of these things cost money. Totally. And so if they're not funded in the budget, then it's all just hot air. So I don't want to like have the party to celebrate everything until I see it in the budget in March. And then, I, and although when it all passed, I thought it was important to celebrate because I think um, as a Democrat, like, I think we need to celebrate yeah. more. I think we like all works. We're so earnest and hardworking and we don't go yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and have like, you know, like when you do stuff, like you can have a kegger or you yeah, can like, have yeah, a pizza so party, nice. like. That makes it more fun to like get stuff done. But there are things that, that still have to happen. You know, we didn't get everything in this yeah. first go. So I think it's important to celebrate what we got and then like keep the pressure on what's Totally. To I think that's 100% accurate. Yeah. Um, some of the things that uh, were in the, the package were early voting. So this now opens the state up for early voting. Um, Which like it did not have early voting at all prior was, to this package, right? No, it was just one day. It was the Tuesday that that was it. That you it was open from like six to six a.m. to nine p.m. That was it. That you had like what is that fifteen hours to go and vote? And if you that's crazy worked, had it, you know whatever you couldn't. There was no other way to to vote unless you got an absentee ballot uh, beforehand. Yeah, and you have you uh, before this package, you had to have yeah. a reason to get an absentee. And the other, what I was waiting for when the legislation was put up in the early voting, what's important in early voting is that not only that you can vote early, but that you can vote that there's some evening yeah. hours and that there's yeah. some weekend hours because yeah. like they have to give you time off from your job. But say you have right. three jobs, say you're caring for an elderly parent, say you're caring for children. There, are, there Those are jobs that, you know, caring for an elderly parent, they no. don't give you time yeah. off. So. Yeah. When I saw the uh, evening hours totally. and weekends, I thought like, Okay, we're doing this for real. Yeah, this is yeah. It exciting. felt um, very much like it wasn't uh, it wasn't a cursory passage of legislation. It was it's actual because of the way the way they wrote it is like ten days before the election there has to be early voting, so you're automatically going to get right. some some weekend days in there, which is pivotal in a in a state, especially you know in New York City where people work random hours, they work odd jobs, they work you know different types of schedules and so not everybody has the, abil the ab ability to take off a Tuesday <laughs> of all the days like that's the that's my most busy day every year it's like I always have like a doctor's appointment I always everything is scheduled for that day um, but did they did they establish how many early voting days would be allotted in yeah. this pat 10 oh, yeah, oh 10 so it was 10 great yeah. sorry yeah great no, no, love yeah. that and, and love that and it has, and also it stipulates like the second day prior to the election. So that's a Sunday usually. Mm -hmm. So that makes sure that there's definitely you holding a weekend. Yeah. 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 Um, the other thing that passed, which I, uh, is, I, I think, uh, I can't believe we were still doing this in, in 2018 is the consolidation of federal and state primary days. Like I was on a primary campaign and a congressional race this past cycle. And I was like, why are we doing this in June? This is a crazy. Oh, yeah. And then why is Cynthia running against Cuomo in September? This is nonsense. Well, first of all, it costs more yeah. money, which everybody should get behind, like making this all cost. But let's be efficient yeah. with our tax 
dollars, but also it's confusing. Totally. You know, if you work on a primary campaign, you're just pissed. But if you're a regular person, you're like, wait, why are we voting Cuomo Nixon today? And what about the other? It's so and like confusion is the easiest way to get people to stop. Totally. Voting. Totally. Yeah. It, they sneak up on you. I feel like these primaries, I'm always like, oh, wait, I have to vote next week. Yeah. Holy moly. I, you know, it's like I just got back, you know, from a summer vacation and now I have to decide the go- like the governor. I oh. Yeah. Well, and especially like I was going to say, especially when you're trying to send out information about candidates, right. let's just do it all in one block. Totally. So we're not like there's, you know, city council and then there's this and then there's governor. It's too much information. Yeah. People are like, oh, forget no, it. And give I, me a pamphlet. I know. Give me like a, a yeah. like, you know, a threefold divider thing. Oh, um, that's sexy. One of the thing I was joking with some friends of mine who also work in politics and they were like, I said, we're just going to be in campaigns for like literally the next 10 years because we're going to have 20, like 2020 is starting. That's on. Um, so like the next two years, that's already election time. And then you've got midterms and you've got city council races in between there where like the entire, basically 75% of the New York city council will, will turn over because they'll be term limited out. So like the city, the, especially the city, um, in turn, you know, not so much New York state because city council is obviously New York city, but there's so much that's going to happen election wise over the course of like the next 10 years that to consolidate these two primaries, just, I mean, it, it makes so much sense and will make participation in elections and the electoral process and teaching people about where to go just so much easier. Yeah. Right. Let's just simplify yeah. it so that we can raise voter totally. turnout. So that's why we're doing that. Um, Closing the LLC loophole, super important. This super important. And I think like when you say it, like it can sound like, I don't even know what that that is. I was just about to say, can we, um, can we just quickly unpack that for a second? Um, Leave that on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like companies could create an LLC and then donate from all. So like the same company has multiple LLCs. Mm. So even if there's a limit for how much you can give, you can just create another LLC and give more and more and more. That's not that's fair. That's really not fair. It was a big loophole. And like, that's like, let's not do yeah. that. That's not So fair. now it's like you can what? You can only do one LLC now or no LLCs? You can do an LLC, but you have to say, from what I understand, there's a limit to how much an LLC can mm-hmm. give. And you have to disclose who is a member of that LLC mm. so that that's part of their campaign donations so that those people can't then like go to another right. LLC. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're trying to make it fair, fair so the business will get a chance to donate that. Pad exactly. Yeah. Cause they, they track your donations by your, um, your name and your employer. And so if this is now going to count, right. they're going to count the people involved in the LLC. Um, then they're counting that towards their campaign contributions. And the limit is $5,000. Um, so that's, that's enough. enough. That is truly, you know what? I would be happy with just 5,000. That's enough for me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then two of the other, uh, important things, um, for the voter registration transfer, like if you move, you can take your voter registration with you and pre-registration of 16 and 17 year olds, um, Mm. which is like super huge. I mean, we talked on another, on the voter turnout pod that we did about how hard it is to reach young people, um, because they they, it's hard and they don't it's they're not a reliable voter and so if we're getting them registered early they know that they're registered they know that there's elections coming up um you know let's make that pool bigger i also just think like in this past midterm there were so many active young people totally. for the first time i felt like you know whether it's parkland or the 
who are doing the national walkouts. Like there's all this youth engagement. And so let's reward that with like, it's one thing to vote and to get your candidate in, but it's not really a victory until you have a legislative change. That's real victory. So to reward those kids who were registering voters, even though they're not even voter age, let's make some laws that like benefit them. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Um, so there are uh, items that were passed in the legislation, but that have to go to a, a referendum in the state, um, which is same day voter registration, um, which is exactly what it sounds like. You can register to vote. And like when you go to the polls, you're like, I'm new. Hi, hello. And I want to register. Um, that has to go to a referendum because it's like a it's a constitutional change. Mm-hmm. So that has to go to the voters. Um, the other one is no excuse absentee, which Piper mentioned um, which is basically like you don't have to have an excuse. You, if you're going to, if you want to vote absentee, you should be able to vote absentee. It doesn't matter what your excuse is. That also has to go to um to the voters on a referendum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's other things that I feel like still have to be done, like automatic voter registration. Yeah, when you interact with any agency in the state. And also, I want better ballot design. I feel yeah. like you guys remember voting in the midst. Oh. It's like. It's so there, there has to be a person there. It's like, don't forget to turn it over and right. they put it in the scanner like this. I'm like, guys, this is a mess. It's a mess. Like, it's, it's very confusing. Yeah. And it goes back to that consolidating the primary thing. It's like, if you confuse voters, they don't want to do it. Yeah. And they're, this is New York. I mean, like, you've got the most amazing design brains in the world. <laughs> go ask MoMA. Go ask the new school. Absolutely. Like, Get some graduate students on it. Oh, my God. Ask a non-union actor. They will design anything. I swear to God. I mean, I talk about non-union like actor websites all the time because I'm always so impressed. But like, geez, Louise. I mean, I've seen like some postcards that have been designed by actors. You know, I just they can they can do the ballots. Artists are out there to help. They will help you. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, can I say two more things? Yeah, yeah. Of course you can. Go ahead. I really want... um, Cuomo did this as a legislative, uh, I mean, as an executive order, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been made a law yet that he reinstated the voting rights of people on parole. It's like, mm-hmm. I think it's like, my numbers by road, it's like 35,000 people in New York state. Uh-huh. And so he did it by executive order kind of because Nixon was pushing for it when they were running against each other. Oh, I remember mm-hmm. that, yeah. It's not a law. And so I'd really like us to put it as a law so that the next governor doesn't just overturn it. Like you can see it with the president, like executive yeah. order is like pretty flimsy. Yeah. Like it works, but it's like not very. And then there's a thing that New York City does where we do public matching funds and campaigns. So, do you, are you in? Yes, I totally. I was like, space oh my god, lit up. <laughs> like I know where you're going, and I am so on board. I really think we can do it in the state. Even in New York, we do it eight to one, but they're talking about for the state doing it six to one. But it just makes it so that more regular people can run. Like right now, you have to be rich yeah. to run for office. And that's not fair. And especially when you're trying to deal with the issues of normal people, it would be nice to have normal people who can run for office. So I really want to do the public matching funds thing so that more people can run. And it doesn't put, I know somebody who ran for Congress, this is down in Texas, but she put her family into debt running for office because it's so expensive. And like, that's prohibitive. Yeah. The, um, the guy that I worked for on the congressional race, he and his wife literally put up like their retirement. That's and it's, bonkers. It's bonkers. Yeah. Do it yeah. if you have to, that's too risky. Yeah. Yeah. Already want to serve and get paid like nothing to do this like thankless job and blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, yeah. Public matching is a big deal. I, I think the governor's office has like, there have been like little chirps about it. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they're going to 
support it. So yeah. I don't know. Have you heard anything about I it? Ha- no, I haven't heard it statewide. I know that they, the city, I think, increased, um, either they did or they're talking about increasing uh, the matching part of it, that they were going like, to give people more money for the match. I know, like, I donate, you know, that public advocate uh, yeah. election that's coming up uh, February 26, I think. When I yeah. did a donation, they pat on the donation sheet, like, make sure make sure you check this thing, like, that you're a New York City resident so that the city will public match your funds. And I was like, oh, it's really happening. It's happening, yeah, yeah. The public matching in the city is interesting because you have to, like, get so many from your home district that you're running in. Mm. And then you have to get, uh, like, a do- like you have, to, you have to hit a dollar amount. So there's like two qualifiers that you have to hit. And then when that happens, the city or your district will literally match the donation amount. The city matches uh, your your donation amounts like there's a cap on it, but it's like a six to one match. It's really great. There's also a cap on how much you can spend, which I think would be another like, why are we spending millions of dollars on a governor's race? We should not. I what you just said also wouldn't it be nice if pe- it could only be people in the district that could donate to a campaign? Oh, I mean, like sweet dreams, sweet that dreams, would be that lovely. Yeah, yeah. Um, dreams, 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 dreams. I know. We'll get it. We'll get it all done. We're working on it. Yeah. Um. Awesome. So that's New York State voter reform. Uh, like I just was so happy that it passed and exactly what you said that it passed so quickly and that the governor signed it. It's, it's going to be big uh, for democracy in in the state. Awesome. So let's take a break and we'll see you on the flip side with the presidential veto. I'm Emily Rems. And I'm Callie Watts. We're both editors of Bust Magazine in Brooklyn, New York. And we're both hosts of Pop-Tarts, Bust's feminist pop culture podcast. Pop-Tarts is a twice monthly podcast that celebrates women in pop culture. The first half of each episode is devoted to a cool guest or hot topic in entertainment. And in the second half, a segment called Whatcha Watchin', we dig into all the shows, movies, books, music, videos, and podcasts we've been enjoying. Plus, our guests are major. Callie, tell these fine people who we've talked to so far. Well, we've interviewed Aquafina, Liz Winstead, Jessica Williams, Julie Klausner, Phoebe Robinson, Rachel Dratch, Amber Tamlin, Justine Bateman, Ricky Lake, Amanda Palmer, Janine Garofalo, and more. And we have even more great guests coming up. Find us on iTunes at bust.com slash Pop-Tarts or wherever you get your podcasts. Mwah. Mwah. Awesome. So let's talk about the presidential veto. <laughs> let's just shift gears. <laughs> hard, hard right. Hard over here. right. Um, There's a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun in the veto, which I'm inspired about. Yeah. And actually, I I thought we would talk about this. I was inspired by a tweet of yours because the one that you did that was like, so what happens if they pass like a funding bill and the president (laughs) vetoes it? Like, can somebody tell me if like it has to be overridden? And I was like, oh, my God, this is what we're talking about. Like, honey, we're here. (laughs) (laughs) It was so great. And I love that, like, there was, like, a judge or a senator or somebody responded to you that was, like... Senator Schatz from Hawaii. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Senator Schatz, he must be in the di- in his home district because he's still in the office. And I was, like, wait, what? it was, like, late when I te- when I tweeted it out in California because I was in California working. Yeah. And then, but of course, it's the Hawaiian senator who's still in his office back home. And he's, like, actually, Piper. I was, like, oh, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. I love that exchange. Like, those are the moments on Twitter where I'm, like, 
This is good Twitter. This I is good, good Twitter. Twitter. This is why Twitter was born. So our senators could tweet us back and be like, all right, this is what's, this happening, is what's happening. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Let me answer your procedural question. Exactly. Right. Um, so, yeah. So why don't you want to take it away and I, tell us what a veto is and where it comes from? 100% would love to take this away. Um, so, Piper, it's amazing that you have your constitution like on hand, um, because the first thing that I'm going to do is sort of uh, just sort of, you know, so everybody else can gather their constitutions as well. They can read where this um, the idea of the presidential veto comes from, which is uh, Article one, Section seven. It reads the Constitution reads. Every bill which shall have passed the House of Representatives and the Senate shall, before it become a law, be presented to the president of the United States. If he approve, he shall sign it. But if not, he shall return it with his objections to that house in which it shall have originated. Who shall enter the objections at large on their journal and proceed to reconsider it? I mean, crystal clear. Crystal clear. Crystal clear. Crystal clear. Crystal clear. Also, it's automatically a man. Like I know. Like, <laughs> I was like, can we please do he, she, they? Oh, please. <laughs> I know, right? If I, it just, I, yeah. I love reading the Constitution aloud on this podcast, just so everybody can actually hear. Like, I'm just reading it word for word. That's how much of a clusterfuck this thing is. You know, <laughs> it's just, it's not, it's not clear. So, what this all means? A regular veto. A piece of legislation passes the House and the Senate, and it goes to the president's desk. The president has 10 days, excluding Sundays, because as we know, you know, bless uh, the Lord. On my notes, I wrote, uh, which, by the way, is some bullshit church and state nonsense. Because <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That wasn't in the Constitution. It really, you know, it, I think it was edited out, you know. Um, ben it Franklin, should be. Like, did not approve of that. Yeah, they were like, guys, I don't think this is really on brand. Um, um, <laughs> like, we have a really clear, cohesive brand of uh, confusing and clusterfuck. And I just think this bullshit uh, might really detract from... <laughs> What we're trying to accomplish here. But yeah, so basically the president literally can just like chill on it for 10 days, excluding Sundays under his eye. And then uh, he can either say yes, like this is great and it becomes a law or he can, you guessed it, say no, veto it. And then it must go back to the uh, House and the Senate to be overrun, um, which we'll talk about in just a second. Another thing that he can do um, because why have just one way to veto <laughs> a law? You know, I mean, this is America, so let's make it just a little bit more confusing. He can do something called the pocket veto, which is super cute. So once again, he has 10 days, like I said, excluding Sundays, um, may the Lord open, uh, to sign a bill. If he doesn't, and Congress adjourns during the 10 days, he doesn't sign it, and it doesn't become a law, and it yes. dies. And it dies. And yeah. it dies. It doesn't become law. It just dies. So then, uh, yeah. Does that make sense? So the thing with the adjournment, because I was like, there, like there are a bunch of words in this thing that are like adjournment. <laughs> It's just words. They're just, there's so many there's words. So many goddamn if words. I had to say anything about the Constitution, it's that the words are really overwhelming. Uh, it's just too many. Wordy. In amount. She's wordy. She's a wordy girl. Like adjournment in session and recess. Like who knows what that means? Nobody. People who are staffers know what that means. Like adjournment. So like you have a session of Congress. At the end of the year, like when there's turnover in to a new Congress, like we just had into a newly elected Congress, or when like there's like 
like a holiday, basically a holiday break, like that's when the adjournment happens. So sometimes there isn't like always an adjournment. Like this past session when we turned over, there really wasn't. Like it ended on January 3rd and it picked up on January 3rd. Like that was it. But there have been some where like, like the 114th Congress, just to give an example. I remember it well. Uh, yes. We we texted about it that I day. I was like, <laughs> let me talk about this 114th Congress. Insane. Adjournment. Adjournment. Um, <laughs> but they ended on December 18th, and then the next session picked up on January 4th. So, like, those interim days would be, like, an adjournment. And then a recess is? And a recess is just, like, when they've, like, they're still in session, but they've decided to, like, take a break. My, I thought, I thought recess is, like, the BS word for, like, you're going home to yeah. work in your home district. Yeah. So it's not, like, a recess, like, at school, when you're on recess, you're allowed to, like, go, like, do whatever you want on the playground and, like, you don't have to do any work. But recess should really be called, like, homework period. Yeah. Something yeah. like recess, you have to go home yeah. and yeah. do your yeah. work at your, you know, New Jersey office or wherever you're the congressman from, right? Yeah, that's like, and I think that was the original idea of it. I think now people also use that time to like go campaign. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? I like, love it. Like they do. Like it's like we're do. still on the clock, but we're not. We're not. We're not yeah. working for our country. I mean, but you know, they're never really working for our country, so it's it's tough, you know, to differentiate. There's a, there's a couple of good eggs, but as the whole, it's like, what are we all doing? There, you know, don't you ever just want to go into the Senate chamber and be like, what are we doing? What's everybody up to? I want to know who's working right. and who's not. Who, give me the attendance sheet. Who's yes. in class right now? I think I had definitely identified when I saw Alyssa Milano in the back during the Kavanaugh hearings. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. She's working. <laughs> She's working. She's in she class. Is there. I feel connected to this process in a whole different way. Uh, oh yeah, she's working. She's working. Yeah, bless. Um, so but I don't understand. Uh, like, what the, can you guys explain to me the pocket veto thing? Like, what? Why would the Congress put up a bill when they know they're about to go into um, adjournment, recess, or adjournment? Yeah, knowing he can do this pocket veto thing. I think sometimes they don't always know how fat like like a way for a president to veto something without taking like a firm stance on it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like if he doesn't want to say I don't like that or she um doesn't want to say I don't I don't want to like I'm going to veto that bill but he just kind of wants to let it die he they're going to take less political heat um and then to answer your question cuz I realized I totally did not I don't know I mean that doesn't make a lot of sense to me either like why you would put something up unless you are also putting something up in the hopes of like we know he's not going to pass it but we want to make a stand right like the way republicans continue to do with the aca like they knew it was gonna fail yeah but they wanted to take a stand they wanted it on record like i could imagine that being a situation where that would happen but why would they put that why would they make that possible in the constitution oh excellent question piper you know because once again what were the founders (laughs) thinking the title of my memoir will be that it's like they weren't you know, this the constitution, how this government was set up was very much either a first or second draft, um, which is why we have so many like loopholes and so many things that are like this feels a little too complicated. I feel like if we just had like, you know, like a fourth like constitutional convention, we could have really ironed out some of these issues. I, you know, I can't answer that question uh maybe because, it was like a horse and buggy situation like they needed oh, the time to travel that could and be it. there's like some kind of weird thing we haven't thought of that had to do with like it's gonna take us two months 
Yeah, to get to, to get here, you know, and so it's like he need, you know, we just give him like if he can't sign it, you know, on like we'll just do it again next session, and it's no big deal, right? Because that's what happens. Yeah, it. Is that like that could you, literally be it? Because they, be it took it. them thirteen years to get you know to, to right this capital, and then another thirteen to back, to back to the state, you know. Um, yeah, because you can't override a pocket veto. It, you have to reintroduce the legislation. So, Whoa. yeah, so it just dies. It doesn't go anywhere. But then you could literally bring up the same exact thing when you're back in two weeks. And then the whole thing I know there's so starts. much work to I know. bring it up again and get a committee and get it yep. on the floor. And the blah, 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 blah. So, like, I'm just – I'm going to be – when this podcast airs, I'm going to be following your guys' Twitter feed to see – to wait for, like, some smarty pants to be like, yeah. you know, the pocket veto. Look, yeah. please, oh literally everybody call <laughs> us um, and tell us why the pocket veto was included in the Constitution. I would prefer if one of the founding fathers reached out, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, maybe to each their own. Um but yeah, that's a tweeted Senator Chat. I was gonna say maybe yes. he'll tweet us back. Literally, t- tell him to tweet us and be like, "What's going what's on going here?" On? All right, you Mr. Veto Expert, tell us what's happening. Need your help, bro. Yeah. So you can't override a pocket veto. You can override a regular veto, um, which is what you were referring to in your tweet. And the bill goes back to the originating chamber of Congress. So if it started in the House, goes back to the House. Goes to to committee, goes to the Senate, and then it goes to the president again. You need two-thirds of each chamber to override it. So in the House, that would be 290 uh, votes. And in the Senate, it would be 67. And just to give you a little sense of, like, what it would be like in our modern-day, like, partisan uh, (laughs) Congress, how hard that would be to, like, override a veto, the House has 235 Dems, 198 Republicans, so they would need, like, quite a few Republicans to like move over to their side to override a veto. Um, And we've got 45 Dems and 53 Republicans. So again, a lot of Murkowski's and a lot of uh, like Collins, those guys who would need to go over Um, and even like more, like it would be super difficult. And to like put that in perspective, the uh, government spending bill that the Senate tried to vote on that Trump ended up uh, just doing anyways after they shot it down only got 60 or no, got less than 60. So we got like 50, Four? Seven. 57? Yeah, okay, right. great. So, like, we're still 10 away from an override. And even that was sort of, I feel like, a stretch from the Republican coming over into the Democrat side. So it's pretty difficult right now. That's why I thought it was interesting that you guys were talking about this now, because I feel like now that we've, you know, we've gone, we've turned the government back on and we're going to govern for three weeks. My, <laughs> my fear, <laughs> and everybody's fear is that when the House and Senate pass the budget, mm-hmm. if the president mm-hmm. overrides it, there's not 67 senators that right. are going to go against his veto. So we're in a pretty precarious position here. Yeah. This three week government. temporary running (laughs) whatever we're doing whatever we're doing uh you're absolutely correct i mean and like you you sort of have to hope that like enough republican senators took a lot of heat for the you know because the shutdown overwhelmingly has been like billed as a complete failure on trump's end and the republican leadership end because nothing got accomplished on their agenda um except that like a thousands and thousands of federal workers did not receive pay. So I like, yeah, the only thing I can see happening is that the Republicans finally stand up to him, but 
Oh, uh, but also, I think like there's a there's a period right now in this interim while they're negotiating what this budget is going to be mm-hmm. and how to address security at the southern border right. without a wall. Right. And I think people can be calling their senators and members of yes, Congress totally. and putting the pressure on now because right now is when they're figuring out the legislation. So you can be calling every day yep. yeah. and saying, I really want you to fund the government. I really don't want a wall from, you know, from Gulf of Mexico to the Pacific. And just put that, let them know that yeah. you're really paying attention and you want this done because that's the only way you're going to get these right. senators to feel the pressure. Yeah, exactly. They count the phone calls that come in every day. They totally do. Important. Yeah, yeah. Always call your senators because it does make a difference. Yep. It genuinely does. Call your reps. Call your reps. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about the line item veto, which existed. She was like, she existed for like two years. She is an enigma. She really is. But we're, I feel like it's worth talking about because Trump has asked for it to come back. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's he a red wants, flag. <laughs> yeah. He wants his, this line item veto back, which was like, over. It, it was brief, brief history. Clinton asked for it in the 95 State of the Union. In 96, Congress was like, all right, sure. And they did it. And then, uh, yeah, SCOTUS overruled it uh, in 98. So he had it for two years. Just say really quick what it is again, because like, yeah. I, 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 I'm not totally yeah, yeah. savvy. No, awesome. So it gives the, the president the ability to reject parts of a bill um, instead of just vetoing the whole bill. So he can literally like take a pen or she and be like, I don't like this. This paragraph right here is not my jam. And you can just scratch it out. And so that's why SCOTUS overruled it, because they were like, that's literally not how a bill becomes a law. Like, we've done the process. You don't get to then go in and be like, no. Because people put things in like, well, I'll give you this if you give me that. Right. And so then if you know the president's like, don't worry, when it gets to my desk, I'll just cross that part out. It's like, that's not fair. That's not fair. Yeah. And that's why they did it, because people were tired of like, it, presidents had wanted it long before Clinton, like Reagan wanted it for pork barrel spending. But because uh, exactly this, like the the in order to get it passed, they would put stuff in, and then the president wanted to be able to be like, "But we're not going to do that," because then it doesn't matter what they pass. He can just he can make any deal he wants, and then just like sign it all away. Yeah, no, no, not today, Satan. Yeah, Mm-mm. no, no, no. We see no. you. We see you. And like the Congressional Research Service, like did a little. Um, they went back and were like, well, here's the ruling. This is what it this is why the SCOTUS ruled against the line item veto. And then they did some like they proposed like four potential ways in which it could possibly come back. One of them is a constitutional amendment, which like I <laughs> Can good you luck imagine? With that. Good luck with that. Talk to the ERA uh, we folks. We're still working with the ERA. We're literally- I know. <laughs> Bro, let me do my ERA before all you people want to have. You've been working on the ERA a long, a long time. Like 90 years. Yeah. No. I know. So Virginia. let's. Virginia. I know. I know. Seriously. Virginia. 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 We'll talk about Virginia later. The other ways basically involve kind of calling it a line item veto, but like kind of skirting what it is. So instead of like, he can't, he couldn't, the president could never like scratch stuff out, but he could, uh, there would be some wiggle room to like not give not appropriate funding to it, which was your concern with uh, the New York voter stuff. Governor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like he could say, sure, I'm going to let's do, you know, I can't I can't take out DACA, but like I can take out all of the funding that would enable DACA to happen. Sneaky, sneaky. sneaky. Do, do, gov- do governors have line item veto? Some of them do. Yeah. There's like 45 ish states that do. Yeah. Tricky. Yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky stuff. So that's the line item veto. She's not going to come back. 
anytime soon There's in like no her way. form. But if Trump had his way, you know, I don't know what. Could maybe I mean, he would, scra- way, he would but- draw pictures. He would, you know, like, <laughs> who knows what that bill would look like at the end of that. I mean, good Lord. He'd be like, I don't get these words either. So I'm just going to cross that <laughs> out just for fun. I feel, you know, I feel attacked by a word like adjournment. Um <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. So I I do awesome. not, I do not I don't I don't want to see the line item veto. I feel like it's already confusing and let's not make it worse. Yeah. Exactly. I'm officially anti-line item veto. Excellent. Taking a stand. Excellent. Excellent. I love the stance. Yeah. Um so the next thing we kind of want to talk about is just like when the veto has popped up in history. So kind of like, you know, because we love going back in time and seeing just sort of the progression of some of these things, because it's very easy to just oh. get stuck in the here and now and not understand like where it came from. Um, so uh, I'm going to um, we're going to go back in time. One of my favorite times when it was just uh, 12 states in Virginia um, making up America. It's the late 17 Himanish has and George Washington is president. We have a nation. It's a first draft of a nation, but we've got one nonetheless. George Washington, bless his heart, was the first president and first veto. He vetoed a measure passed by Congress on how many representatives should be in the House of Representatives. So that was, you know, that like that was his first like, no, do it again, which I think is great. You know, I think if something deserves a second go, it's like how many people represent us. Yeah, let's give that a second pass. Let's give that a just just like. A re, let's do a redo real quick. Make yeah. sure we really know what we're doing here. There's also, there's something in there that's like, it has to be one rep for every 30,000 people. And he part of the reason he vetoed it was because they did the math wrong and it wasn't one I for 30,000. And he was like, no. He was like, gentlemen. <laughs> you guys went to the finest universities went, that our humble country can offer you. Right, there's two of them and only white men can go to it. I don't understand how we can't do basic <laughs> math. What's the thing called with the... Abacus, we get your abacus out, and let's do let's do the numbers. You get your math wrong, your bill should not get a pass. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. Veto. Veto. Um, look, (laughs) George Washington. She had standards. You know, she was like, look, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this correctly and with the proper math. And I love that. The first pocket veto, which we were talking about, was uh, James Madison in the early 1800s. His pocket veto was this one, right? The uniform uniform rule on naturalization, which it's very difficult to find what that means. Literally, Lizzie looked, and then I looked (laughs) for 45 minutes last night trying to find the bill that this man vetoed, and it's like nowhere. We get like- he vetoed it. He vetoed yeah, it. And he was like, and let's burn it. Let's burn it. But that was the Jennifer, uh, Jennifer. Oh my God. That was the general <laughs> nature of it. Uh, what's the Jennifer nature of it? Uniform rule on naturalization. Yeah. I assume, I actually can't assume, I don't know what James Madison would have been up to in that time period when it came to naturalization. I just like that, like in the old days when they vetoed it, there, was, there wasn't even a trace left. No, no. they were like, it's, no. let's burn it. Yeah, well, it was on parchment, you know, it probably disintegrated, you know, when it came in contact with sunlight. So it's like, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's we literally probably have lost it. Although if you have seen this bill and you're listening, call us and let us know what Jamesy was doing. If it's in a file, in a box, in the Library of Congress. We would like to see it. We Thank would, you very I much. I request, uh, I formally request to be led into the Library of Congress. Can you imagine? I think you, I think you can go, but also we could just 
Of go course ahead. you can go. Yeah. You can yeah. go. Can, I can go. Yeah, anybody can go to the library. No, but I want to like go into the Library of Congress. You know what I mean? There's certain things you need like special permission and you have to write like why you need to go and then you have to wear those gloves because Ooh. you're not allowed to touch the oh, old yeah. paper with your regular yeah. hand. Look, yes. I will put in a request to see this bill if it exists. I think we need a trip to D.C. I think that's what's happening. Oh, my God. I feel like they'll get that letter and be like, what? <laughs> Out of all of them, this one? Congress is a woman, too. Like, it would be so fun <gasps> to go and meet her. Yeah. And, like, oh, my God. We're pack going. Up the, pack okay. up the materials. Listeners, uh, next time you hear from us, we'll be in D.C. <laughs> <laughs> oh I God. love it. Awesome. Cool. So then the most vetoes, we'll just talk about these uh, hot messes for a sec. Um, <laughs> first. Look. They were FDR, 635 vetoes. I mean, now he was elected to four terms, served three and change. That's a lot of vetoes. That's a lot of vetoes. But again, there's the Great Depression, you know, which was sad. And then there was World War II, which was also a big bummer. There was a lot going on. Yeah. Um, And he was doing like trying to pull us out of the Great Depression with all of the, you know, Social Security and and, uh, the New Deal. So I'm not surprised. I, he he was very active with Congress. Like he would like bust in and be like, "Write this bill for me," and they'd be like, "No, what? What? Why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> Go home. Trying to save a nation. Well, come on." I know he was He's trying I, to do good. I know, yeah. I know. He yeah. So it it's so, not surprising to me that he has the most vetoes. It is surprising that it is that many vetoes. Yes, that it is that many vetoes. He also like sometimes like to play political games. And so one of the vetoes was that he vetoed a bill that would have increased federal payments to World War One soldiers and their dependents. Mm. And it was like part of yeah, it, it was like part of like a political gaming process. Then he also vetoed a bill that it was called the Revenue Act of 1943, and it would have um he like asked lawmakers for 10.5 billion in funding in taxes to like pay for war and stuff. A war is expensive. And they were like, no, we'll give you, I think it was like 2 million or something. And so they passed that bill and he vetoed that. Cause he was like, no bitches. I said, I need money. Like you have yeah. to give me money for war. Like Rihanna. Yeah. <laughs> he, unlike the people in George Washington time did the math, you know? Yeah. He was like, this he was is like, Let me 10 billion is the cost. number. Yeah. <laughs> Let me break down the cost of bomb. It bomb. would depend too, like if you if the Congress is predominantly your party or not, right? right like, yeah, if totally. you're all the same party, like New York State right now, like this thing is crackalacking. But if exactly. we're going to fight, yeah, be a lot of veto. Totally. Um, Which is a great transition. That is a great to one. the second most vetoes yeah. that a president has given out. This one's going to surprise you because it surprised me, and I'm tickled by oh, it. Wow. Oh. Grover Cleveland was the second most vetoes. I know. Take it in. Grover Cleveland. And this is just in his first term because as if people know, Grover Cleveland had two terms, but he's the only president who was like his second term was like after another president. So he was not elected, you know, consecutively. consecutively. So his first term, 414 (gasps) vetoes over the course of four years. And now, so what you were talking about, Piper, after the Civil War happened, we had a string of Republican presidents because they were, the Republican Party was the winning party of the Civil War. Party of Lincoln. Party of Lincoln. Um, And so the Democrats did not look great after it. Grover Cleveland was the first, like, 
break in that like slew of Republican president. Grover Cleveland was a Democrat. He was a war hero. So he was actually like wildly popular when he was elected, but he was dealing with an entirely Republican Congress. Oh, interesting. So it's like the only way Grover could like do really anything was to say no 414 (laughs) times. And then in his second term, which was, you know, a, a breath later, he had an additional 150 vetoes. Like, I'm like, Grover, your name is Grover. Your name is, first of all, your name is, I veto that. Let me talk about (laughs) a line item. You you love love Grover? I do not love Grover. (laughs) I'm telling you, first of all, as you're saying this history of Grover Cleveland and his vetoes, I'm like, okay, this should be an HBO series. (laughs) Where is Ken Burns? Where is there's so much drama? There's in this. so much. I mean, oh, like Boardwalk Empire. Like we could do not a documentary. <gasps> like I, mean, I think it should be like a show. Yes, like Grover. Piper, you need Just to get on that. Grover. All right, so uh, everybody, look out for the HBO series Grover. <laughs> uh, that's going to be coming to you. There's going to be so much nudity. It's insane. <laughs> nudity yeah. and vetoes. Nudity and vetoes. That's the under the undertitle. Yeah. So so sweet, sweet baby Grover was just saying no left and right. Yeah. And and like there was not there was nothing like there was no wars happening during his presidency. It was genuinely really because nobody like he, it was just Grover. It yeah. was partisan. Yeah. He, he they couldn't get they couldn't get stuff done. It's also shocking that like he had the opportunity to say no 414 times. I mean, I think we're used to in modern day there being like a bill, a session, you know, it's like, there's not like the, the output of like legislation is so much less than it used to be. And I think that's like, that's also hard for me to even fathom that Congress like went to work every day and like kept putting up bills to constantly like do something with the country. You know, that's like a bill a day. It's 440. That's a lot. That's so many so but nice. you can see it in New York State. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry to keep going back to New no, York. No, bless New York. Like, they, you know, they did reproductive rights. Yeah. They did DACA. They did voting rights. Yep. They are on a tear because all of a sudden, they all got their ducks in a row. Yeah. Right. They're full head. So it just shows you, like, when you really get it together, yeah. Yeah. you can get stuff done. You can get stuff done. It also just shows that, like, I, like I met with some of the IDC folks, and I was like, they kept they would always say like we we have no extra power like I don't know what you're talking about I'm like yes you did and all of this right here that you're pa- like the new legislature is passing proves it you guys had so much power totally totally it's it puts them to shame to shame in the recent history of vetoing it's interesting because we were talking about um before we came on that like it seems to be like a correlation between how many vetoes there are with by with uh the breakdown of uh bipartisanship. So like Reagan had 78 vetoes, Papa Bush had 44, Clinton had 37, baby Bush and Obama had 12, and Trump has zero, which just like harkens back to the conversation we were having about like how much they're not passing bills for presidents to veto because right. the partisanship, the partisan divide is so great. They're just like, he doesn't have to veto anything. Trump because like nothing's going through and like McConnell can sort of like lead block for him like yeah, in a right. football team like totally like what he was saying with the budget he's like I'm not going to put it up for a vote if the president's not going to say yes like right. McConnell can take all that heat for the president it's kind of messed up it's really messed up no uh, not a fan of Mitch McConnell I don't think Mitch McConnell is a fan of Mitch McConnell I don't think <laughs> yeah I don't think yeah. he loves himself very much um yeah no you're ex- you're exactly right in that it's like 
they, yeah, this whole idea that we're not going to pass anything if the president is just going to veto it, that is a very recent thing. Like, this was not even around with Obama because, like, yeah, there's, like, this thing of, like, if you're the party, you're like, well, let's hope we have the votes so that it passes. But, like, the the idea that they wouldn't even, like, try to do a congressional override, which is what the Democrats were, like, shouting for to the Republican Party during this shutdown was, like, if he vetoes it, we can override it. We literally yeah. have that power right. to do that. And then it doesn't matter what the president says. The government opens. Um, I think that's why you hear people on the news, like when you're seeing congressmen and senators, uh, congressmen and senators on the news, they're all saying, we are a co-equal branch of government. We are a co-equal. You right. hear it over and over now on the mm-hmm. news. And I think they're sort of saying it at Mitch McConnell, who's holding back legislation be- oh, yeah, because totally. the president won't find it as though they work for the president. Right. right. And they do not. In fact, do not. they're co-equal. Right. Yeah. If anybody's confused, everybody in the government works for us. Thank you for clarifying. They do. They work for us. I agree. Trump works for us. Mitch McConnell works for me, bitches. (laughs) I mean, you know, not. I'm not from Kentucky or wherever he's from, but yeah. But, you know, all of our federal congressional members work for the people and we are the people. It literally starts. We the people, (laughs) not we Mitch McConnell. You know, Piper, this has been so fantastic. I cannot it's thank so you enough. It's so fun to talk with you guys. I know. It, so we could just was, like, we're always like, I, know. I, was like, I oh like black out, you know, and I'm just like. This is so much fun. So fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, yeah. great. Do you have anything you want to plug? Anything coming up? Oh, uh, I do have a new show coming out on Netflix, actually. Yes. Tell, is it called Grover? <laughs> it's called Grover. Yes. It's about the president with the most, no, second most VJs yes. in history. Yes. <laughs> No, it's he's a little sexier than Grover. It's um with Idris Elba. Oh, yes. heard of him. Heard of him. I and stand. it's called Turn Up Charlie, and it's uh it's about DJs. It's like the international DJ scene. Oh, nice. awesome. Oh, that's so cool. Do you know when that's dropping? March 16th. Guys, March cool. 16th. You, me, Piper, Arden, Idris, we're all going to be there on the Netflix. On the Netflix. We're going to watch it. Yeah, you guys already have the headphones. Like, you can do this DJ thing, no problem. Done. Yeah, we're here. We're, we're here. Yeah, we're, we're going to be in season two. You guys just wait. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Thank um, you guys again so much. Thank, for thank you, Piper. Piper. Have a great have day. Have a good day. Bye. 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 Bye.